0: This is the Late Round Podcast with your host, J.J. Zacharison. What's up everyone, it's J.J. Zacharison, and this is episode 684 of the Late Round Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by FanDuel. Thank you for tuning in. It's been a while since I opened up a mailbag show with a good rant, but I'm starting to get a ton of questions about trading, and I think trading is something that the fantasy football world gets very, very wrong. So here's my take on trading in fantasy football. One of the most common questions that I get around trading is something like, I have this player that I want to trade away. What player should I be targeting in this trade? That way of thinking needs to leave your brain right now, gone. I understand answering that question to give someone a baseline. My rest of season rankings are over on Patreon, so I can at least say, oh, you want to trade Nick Chubb? Here are the players that I have ranked ahead of Nick Chubb from here on out. I can do that. But there are two things that are necessary here that are always missing. Number one, there's a market component. What if you say that you want to trade Nick Chubb, and I happen to have Damian Pierce ranked ahead of Chubb from here on out. Now that's not the case because that wouldn't be smart, but just imagine a world where you're trying to trade away Nick Chubb, and you come to me and you ask a question about who you should target for Chubb, and I say that I have Damian Pierce ranked ahead of Chubb rest of season. Does that mean that you should trade away Chubb to get Damian Pierce? Of course not. Even though I feel that way, the market doesn't feel that way at all. You can get way more for Nick Chubb than just Damian Pierce. So always keep the market in mind when you're trading. That's the first thing. The second thing, though, is more important. Trading is there to make both parties better, to make both teams better. What that means is that when you go to trade a player, let's just keep rolling with Nick Chubb here. When you go to trade Nick Chubb, your very first instinct should be to find a team who needs running back help find a team that would really need Nick Chubb. It shouldn't be to find a player on some random team that you'd trade Nick Chubb for. What that means is that your consideration set for who you would receive, it should be large, not small. You should be willing to put together some sort of package in a trade based on the needs of the team that you're trading with. That's how you get a deal done. Sometimes trading is just about selling high and not buying low. Like if you think Nick Chubb is a sell high candidate right now, it doesn't mean that you need to trade them for a player that you should be buying low on. Maybe you can trade Nick Chubb and someone else and get someone like Cooper Cup. It's not like Cooper Cup is a buy low candidate, but Cooper Cup is a very good fantasy asset. You didn't go out seeking Cup, but you should be more than open to having someone like Cooper Cup on your fantasy roster. You're able to actually extract value when you approach trades this way because you're finding a team that needs the thing that you have which means they'll be more willing to spend or even overspend. But all the while, you're able to actually get a trade done. And you can approach this from the standpoint of buying players low too, or just buying someone that you're targeting. If you really want to trade for Jonathan Taylor right now, you really think that Taylor is a good buy low candidate, go find the team that has Taylor and see if there's anything that you can offer to make that team better. It's such a simple concept, but literally 90% of the fantasy industry doesn't think this way. So please, instead of asking, who should I trade Player X for, ask, which team in my league could use Player X? Once you answer that question, start to put a trade package together and get a deal done that benefits both sides. That's how you get a deal done in fantasy football. Now this is a mailbag show, but before getting into the questions, I want to remind you about FanDuel Faceoff. FanDuel Faceoff is where you compete in quick, fun games against other real people for real cash. It has all sorts of games that you're familiar with, like Home Run Derby, Wheel of Fortune, puzzle and strategy games, with more on the way. Contests are action-packed and last between 2-5 to minutes you can play on your couch, waiting in line, during a commercial break, wherever, and on your schedule. Plus, you can practice for free anytime. Whether it be head-to-head, multiplayer, or larger tournaments, FanDuel Faceoff has something for you. Plus, in most contests, you'll be matched against other players of similar skill level, so you're never totally overmatched, even as a beginner. Faceoff is also tied to your FanDuel account and wallet, so you can easily use your daily fantasy funds or sportsbook winnings in the app. Visit FanDuel.com slash Faceoff or download the FanDuel Faceoff app in the Apple App Store right now to get in the game. Age and location restrictions apply, void where prohibited. See FanDuel.com slash Faceoff hyphen terms for terms and conditions. The first question this week, well, there's kind of two questions, but the first one's from Tomer from Patreon. It says, Hey JJ, I was wondering if you had a chance to look at how first and second round running backs fared compared to their expected points per game through three weeks. Without looking at data, it feels like they have disappointed more than previous years, while the running backs from the dead zone are not doing as bad. And then this other question from Twitter. It's loosely related to this, and it's from at TG Design. It says, Do you see any data to support CMC, ranked first overall by some, getting improved usage, or is what we've gotten so far the ceiling and floor? So one of the big topics in fantasy right now is the underperforming of early round running backs, so let's dig into this. Just so everyone's aware, I'm recording this on Thursday, so the Thursday night game has not happened, and obviously Joe Mixon was an early round running back pick. So just know that I have no idea how he performed on Thursday night right now. I don't plan on editing this after Thursday night's game, because I want this in your podcast feed on Friday morning. It doesn't really matter that much because it's only one data point. But that's now out of the way. Okay, we're all on the same page. In the late round draft guide, I created a chart that shows the frequency in which a running back hits a certain points per game threshold by round. For example, front half round one running backs have historically scored 16 or more PPR points per game at a 71.4% rate. So, top six picks that were running backs, they're getting you 16 PPR points per game 71% of the time. That goes back to 2011. Now, that obviously then decreases with each half round. There's some variance here and there, but the general trend is that it decreases. Better running backs come from the early rounds. This year, according to my fantasy league's ADP data, we had Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler, and Derrick Henry in the top six. Keep in mind, this is not how I had these guys ranked. This is just MFL's ADP. This is average draft position. Now, of those four players, none of them have hit that 16 points per game mark. Their average is under 16. So that's obviously way different than the historical average. Okay, let's look at the next group, or players in the back half of round one. Players who are ranked 7th to 12th. According to MFL's ADP, that was Dalvin Cook, Najee Harris, Joe Mixon, and Alvin Kamara. Typically, about 52% of players in this grouping hit 16 points per game. None of them are at that mark so far. So yes, it appears as though these stud running backs have underperformed. We could keep going. Aaron Jones and Saquon Barkley have been fine, but you get the overall idea. Now let's look at Pro Football Focus's expected fantasy points model. What this model does is it tells us how many fantasy points a player should be at right now based on his usage and where he's getting his touches. So you can compare that to his actual points to see if he's over or underperforming. Generally, we should expect good players to probably outperform expectation by a little bit. And the running backs that we're talking about are good players. They're early round picks. But get this, according to the ADP data that I'm working with, we had 14 first and second round running backs in fantasy this year. Of those 14, nine of them are playing under expectation. The only players that have played above expectation in fantasy points scored are Dalvin Cook, which is kind of surprising, Saquon Barkley, Aaron Jones, Nick Chubb, and DeAndre Swift. And remember, Swift is banged up, so he's been a frustrating pick because of that. But based on where he's seeing his touches, he's overperformed because of his big plays and such. But that's pretty crazy, right? 9 of 14 are underperforming. The good news is that their overall expected fantasy points have actually been pretty awesome. In fact, of the top 13 running backs and expected fantasy points, 10 of them are top 2 round picks. And that makes sense because usage isn't really awful for a lot of these players. That's why I wanted to keep the Christian McCaffrey question on the show. CMC's usage hasn't been that bad. He's seen a 17% target share, and he's seen an 86% running back rush share. Now the target share isn't quite as high as what we typically see from him, but let's not pretend that this is bad usage. It's still very good usage. Some of these offenses just have not been good, and that's resulted in fewer blow-up games. I talked about that a little bit with Jonathan Taylor earlier this week on the 10 Trends episode. So to me, looking at this, it seems as though a lot of the underperformers should be expected to perform better moving forward. I'm not overly concerned. But one thing I do want to add, I do think there's a chance that we see lower scores from running backs this season overall, unless things change across the league. According to Michael Lopez, or at StatsbyLopez on Twitter, through three weeks, the NFL is at a 10-year low in scoring. Now, it seems like everything would be relative then, right? Like, if all NFL teams are scoring less, then all players would be scoring less. Well, here's the argument against that. When there's a ton of scoring, a lot of that scoring will end up going to the best players on a team. And that allows players like Jonathan Taylor to separate themselves from the pack. Like, take Miles Sanders. Sanders is the lead back on his team, and his team's scoring a lot, but there are other threats to score at the goal line in that offense, or to just score in general. Jalen Hurts himself, other running backs in that rotation, it's not just Sanders. Elite running backs see a higher percentage of their team's overall touchdowns, and so if their team's touchdowns were greater, then they'd see a whole lot more scores than they're currently seeing. They would separate themselves a little bit more. So I do think the overall trend of this being a down year scoring-wise so far, that's impacted the elite players in fantasy football. There's less room for them to truly separate. And then of the offenses that are doing really, really well, those guys are separating themselves even more because it's rare for an offense to be doing that well. That's why we're seeing such huge, huge gaps between guys like Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, and Josh Allen versus the rest of their position because there's just a wider gap in how these teams are scoring. I don't know if that's going to keep up either. Like, it's still very early. It's only been three games. But I do think it's kind of interesting to think about. And to the point about dead zone running backs, I totally, totally disagree. Dead zone running backs have been horrible this year. According to MFL's ADP, dead zone backs this year include Ezekiel Elliott, Travis Etienne, Cam Akers, David Montgomery, Josh Jacobs, Brees Hall, and Elijah Mitchell. Now, obviously, different data sources will show differently. And how you define the dead zone matters, too. But there are a lot of underperformers on that list. And the one that probably has the most intrigue moving forward is Brees Hall, when we know that rookies tend to beat the dead zone at a much higher rate than any other subset. So the dead zone has actually been really bad this year. But I would be patient with the elite guys. Better days should be ahead, even if scoring across the league doesn't change much. The next question is from at BTTJ33, what is Brees Hall's ceiling this year if Michael Carter is healthy all year? Is it higher than what we've seen from Javante last year and so far this year? Yeah, of course. With Javante, he hasn't totally overtaken his backfield. Brees Hall still has a chance to do that. We saw Hall take a step forward this past week in terms of usage. That may not continue. We don't know for sure. But there's at least a decent possibility of it happening based on what we've seen historically from rookie running backs, especially high-end rookie running backs. I did my rest of season rankings this week, which are on the late round fantasy football Patreon, and someone asked me why I had a decent gap between Hall and Michael Carter. And I think this is the difference between a median projection and looking at a range of outcomes. A projection might show those two being pretty close. That would be logical given how they've deployed that backfield so far this year. But there's a much higher chance of Brees Hall taking over that backfield than Michael Carter without an injury, just given his pedigree, given the types of backs they are, given all of that. So I still like Brees Hall rest of season. I think what's happened so far was kind of to be expected. Though I do have some fear about Zach Wilson returning and that hurting the running back target share in that offense. So definitely keep an eye on that. This last question is from at Pascal Glavine. It says, do you trade DJ Moore or avoid him? So I got an absurd amount of questions about DJ Moore this week, but I had more as a sell after week two on the 15 transaction show. It wasn't that his peripherals were bad, it's that the Panthers' offense was bad. Baker Mayfield has not been good, and that's impacted DJ Moore. But I sort of feel the same about Moore as I do about Allen Robinson right now, at least from the standpoint of how I view them versus the market. If someone in your league is just totally sick of those players, I don't think it's a bad idea to send a low-ball offer, like a bench asset. Moore is still seeing a pretty good target share in that offense. He ranks around the top 25 in target share per game at wide receiver this year. And Allen Robinson at least isn't seeing the horrible usage that he saw in week one. So technically, things are trending up for Allen Robinson. Now, there's a very real chance that both of those guys are going to be bust this year in fantasy football, but they've both shown talent and usefulness in the past. When fantasy managers are frustrated, they sometimes do irrational things. This next question is from at Justin Jaden and says, How do you recognize when an early star is a sell-high candidate? The first thing you should always ask yourself with any player is, is this sustainable? If the answer to that is no, then you start asking questions about the player himself. Does he have a history of being good? Is his workload strong? What part of his career is he in? Then you have to see what the market thinks about that player. Like, we're going to go back to Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb is playing above expectation right now. A good bit above expectation. But Nick Chubb is also one of the best running backs in football. He's not automatically a sell candidate because he's going to regress in some way. He likely will regress in some way, but regression could still put him in a good spot for fantasy purposes. But if you're talking about some random part-time player who's really exceeding expectation, that's different. It's easier to sell non-elite players. It's easier to trade them away, because chances are, what they're doing is a little bit fluky. So it's first seeing if they're playing over their head. It's then seeing if the peripherals are there, and if they're a good player. And then it's seeing what the market thinks. Sometimes you get a player who's playing way over his head and isn't that great of a player or prospect. But then the market also sees that. So it means that he's not really a sell candidate because you're not actually gaining anything by selling him. So in that scenario, you might have to risk it and say, well, maybe my evaluation of him as a player is just wrong. Let's hope for that. There's just a lot that goes into something like this, but hopefully that does make some sense. The last question this week is from at McLaughlin 4 It says... Tired of the randomness of fantasy football. It's why I prefer fantasy baseball. It's more indicative of manager prowess. My question, is there a way to reduce the randomness of fantasy football? Or is that the beauty of it? I love this second game against the median idea. Now, I sort of ranted about this on a recent mailbag show when talking about how some people think fantasy football is just all luck. And I totally disagree with that. Is there variance? Yes, of course. Is there some luck? Yes, of course but I think people take this concept of randomness way too far. Just because Mac Collins had a career day in week three doesn't mean fantasy football is all luck. I see that all the time on Twitter, every single week. It happens every week. Someone tweets out a list of the highest scoring players of their position in a given week, and there are just tons of out of nowhere players on that list. And then everyone's like, this is why fantasy football is too random. Well, first off, that's one week. Across an entire season, you're still going to get bigger weeks out of your better players. Second, just because you didn't predict exactly what would happen, doesn't mean you can't predict anything. I talked about Mac Hollins on my sleeper show last week. I liked Mac Hollins in week 3. I certainly didn't expect him to be the wide receiver too, but the goal here is to be better than your league mates. If you can consistently find players who outperform expectation, you're going to win in the long run. It's not about accurately predicting a blow-up game from Mac Hollins. It's about being higher on Mac Hollins than the rest of your league. It's about being a week ahead on your waiver wire. Everyone wants perfection. You don't need perfection. You just need to be better than the other humans who are also playing this game. And honestly, if you want to fix the randomness factor, there are ways to do that within your league if you want to. You could do an all-play format, where you play every single team each week. Or you can play two games, one against your opponent, and one against a league median, like you talked about in the question. That way, if you're getting unlucky with a schedule that was randomly assigned to you at the beginning of the season, if your team is putting up points, it doesn't matter as much. And honestly, not everyone wants to hear this, but you could also join more leagues. Treat it like a portfolio. I understand that that might not be fun for some. I totally, totally get that. But I love it. I have a ton of fun having different exposures to different players but it evens things out much more than playing in one or two leagues and dealing with the variance in those two leagues. There are ways to combat the randomness in fantasy football, if that's something that really, really frustrates you. But I also would say that fantasy football is a lot less random than you think. You can consistently be better than your league mates, and that's all that matters. That's it for today's show though. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you yet subscribed to the Late Round Fantasy Football Podcast, make sure you are by searching for it pretty much anywhere podcasts can be found. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at QB. Remember to check out LateRound.com, join the free newsletter for my 15 transactions column, and join the Patreon. The Patreon has rest of season rankings, weekly rankings, an awesome Discord community, and much more. Thanks everyone, good luck in week 4, I'll talk to you next week.